You are listening to Church at the Oaks podcast, where we exist to send disciple makers of Jesus by being disciple makers of Jesus. For more information about our church, such as service times, upcoming events, or how to join a group, please visit us at churchattheoaks.com. have the privilege of, of getting to walk with, walk with you guys, walk you through the third part of our series, uh, which is, as Britton mentioned, City, Campus, World. So as a church, we have a heart for our city, we have a heart for our campus, and we have a heart for the world. And so today we're talking about what does it mean to have a heart for the world? So many, many of you guys know that I, after college, I lived for a couple of years in South Asia. And when, when I was in South Asia, I, I vividly remember uh, one particular day, I was walking through a village with my, my friend. My friend is a South Asian believer. We were walking through this village just praying, praying for, for this village. And a man saw us and he invited us into his home to have tea. So even though it was 110 degrees outside, we stepped into this, this guy's house. Uh, his name was Ramveer, and we, we had some hot tea and sweated like crazy, but it was great. And as we, we sat down with him, he asked us, what are you guys doing in the village? And so we told him, we, we follow Jesus, and we're here to, to pray for the village. Is there, is there any way that we could, could pray for you or for your family? And he, I remember he looked at us with just a completely blank stare. He said, who is Jesus? And so I thought, you know, maybe there's a, a language barrier here. Uh, so we tried to kind of explain a little, a little further. Like, I, Jesus Christ, you know, Yeshu Messiah in his language. He, he died on a cross. Have, have you ever heard of him before? And still, a blank stare. He had, Ramvir had never heard the name Jesus Christ before. He'd never heard his name. And those, those two years that I was in South Asia, I had that exact same conversation over and over and over again. And so as we talk today about what, what does it mean to have a heart for the world, what we're saying is we, uh, what we mean is we have a heart for those people, Right? We have a heart for the Ramvirs of the world because Jesus has a heart for them. But the question is that we have to talk through is what in the world can we do as a church? Small little church here in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, what impact can we have on a world full of, of millions, billions of lost people? And so to answer that question, I want to I show you a passage today that I think answers that question better than any other passage in the Bible. And it's a, a passage that has been incredibly impactful for me personally. And it was, has been really impactful for, uh, the reason it's impactful for me is because these South Asian pastors that I spent so much time with uh, would constantly return to this passage in Scripture uh, as they considered what can we do in the midst of such great lostness. Right, so I want to walk through that passage with you this morning. And the passage is Romans chapter 15. 
Romans 15. So if you have your Bible with you, open up to Romans 15. And we're going to read verses 17 through 24 together this morning. And as you turn there, just to kind of set the stage, set the context, we have to remember that the book of Romans is actually a letter. So it's a letter written from Paul to a group of small churches in the city of Rome. And when Paul wrote this letter, he actually hadn't ever been to Rome. He's writing this to a bunch of people that he, he hadn't met. Um, but it's a letter. And so we got to remember that as we read, right? So that's the context. And Paul, is, as we're going to read, he's telling these people that he wants to come to them. He's planning to come to Rome, okay? And so that's where we're going to pick up in Romans 15, 17 through 24. So Paul says this. He says, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience, by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Let's pray. Father, as we just read and think about and as I unpack your word this morning, may you help me teach it faithfully and truthfully, and may you change our hearts through your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I just want to show you from this passage, I want to show you that God uses his people to reach the world. And I want to do that just really simply by showing you three truths that we, that we see clearly in this passage, all right? Three truths about reaching the world with the gospel, all right? So let's just jump right in, okay? The first truth, truth number one, is, is this, and it comes from actually the very beginning of this passage in verses 17 and 18, and it's this. Reaching the world with the gospel is ultimately God's work. Reaching the world with the gospel is ultimately God's work. Let's, let's read again verses 17 and 18. Paul says, In Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Okay, so we got to stop and we got to think about who Paul is and what he has seen accomplished at this point in his life as he's writing this letter to Rome, okay? So Paul, it's about 20 years since Paul has believed in Jesus. And since that time, Paul has spent his life traveling around the Roman Empire, preaching the gospel. He's traveled at least 10,000 miles Seriously, you can, people have gone back and done the math. Over 10,000 miles, mostly on foot, he's seen thousands of people baptized. He's seen churches started all across the Roman Empire. 
Acts 19 tells us that the, the whole province of Asia heard the word of the Lord as a result of Paul's ministry there. So if anyone, if anyone has reason to be proud of what they have accomplished for God, then it would be Paul, right? But what does Paul say here? He says, no, all of that, that was all Jesus. It's all been Jesus. He says, he may have, have used me, but that was all him. That's a pretty powerful statement, right? And so for us, this is really significant for us as we have this conversation today about how are we going to reach the world. Because before we say anything else, before we make any plans or do anything, we have to say this, that ultimately, Jesus is going to do it. Jesus is going to reach the world with the gospel. He may use us, but he's going to do it. Uh, this is not something we can just set out and try to do on our own. So uh, I have a younger sister named Megan. And when we were little, we got this great idea that we were going to go out in our backyard and we were going to build a clubhouse. Uh, my dad had a bunch of spare, spare wood sitting out in the backyard because he's a builder. That's what he does. He's a professional builder. So he's got all this wood sitting out in the backyard. And we said, okay, we're going we're gonna to go build a clubhouse. And so we spent days, really weeks, planning out this clubhouse. We got paper out. We started drawing plans for it. I'm like 10 years old. Megan's like seven. But we're, we're making these plans for this clubhouse. We've got a drawing. We're gathering tools up from around the house. But we, we wanted to do it ourselves, right? So we, we didn't want to tell our, our parents. We're like, we're going to do this ourselves. We're going to build this clubhouse. So we didn't tell anyone. They asked what we were doing. Like, we're not going to tell them. So we, we put a day on the calendar. This is the day when we're going to build the clubhouse. So we, we go outside. Uh, that Saturday morning, I've got my sunglasses on, got my hammer strapped in my, on the side of my shorts, my jean shorts. We're going out, in the, going out in the yard. And we get out there with our wood and our tools, and we quickly, quickly realize that we have no idea what we're doing, right? It lasts about 10 minutes. We nail a couple of wood, pieces of wood sloppily together, and then uh, we get in an argument, and then we just quit. We go back inside. <laughs> we have no idea what we're doing. And so my dad, he goes out there later that day, and he sees this, these pieces of wood like randomly nailed together in the yard, and he comes inside, and he's like, guys, what, what were you doing in the yard? What, what's your big plan? And we finally have to tell him, we're like, okay, well, we, we, we were trying to build this clubhouse in the yard. And my dad, the, the professional builder, who we didn't ask to help with the clubhouse, guess what he said? He said, well, that's awesome. He was pumped. He said, I would love to help you build a clubhouse. And I was like, oh, great, okay. So we spent the next several weekends working together with our dad in the backyard, building this awesome clubhouse that's actually still there today in the back of the house where we used to live. That's what we're like, that's us, whenever we try to accomplish God's mission on our own. We're like little kids just trying to, trying to throw something together in the backyard when there's our, our father in the house just waiting on us to come to him. And to ask him for help, right? So before we, we make any plans for how we're going to reach the world with the gospel, first thing we got to say is God, God's going to do it, not us. And so instead of going into this with, uh, with, with any kind of pride, with any kind of self-confidence, our posture has to be one of humility, of dependence, and of prayer, right? That's how... 
That's how we reach the world. And so that's our posture, right? That's how we're approaching this. But this verse, this passage, also speaks to actually the reason why we should even care about this at all, okay? And that's, that's the second truth that I want to point out from this passage. Um, truth number two, reaching the world with the gospel is the story of the whole Bible. Reaching the world with the gospel is the story of the whole Bible. So let's keep reading in this passage, verses 18 and 19. Okay, he says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. To bring the Gentiles to obedience. So Paul's ministry up to this point has been uniquely focused on taking the gospel to Gentiles. So Gentiles just means anyone who's not a Jew, anyone who's not part of the people of Israel, all the other nations in the world who are not Israel. Paul has been laser focused on taking the gospel to those people. And the question I want to ask this morning is why? Why was Paul so adamant about taking the gospel to Gentiles? He he talks about it all the time. In this passage, throughout the rest of his letters, he's so adamant that we have to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So why is that? Well, the answer is actually really simple. Paul knew his Bible. He knew his Bible inside and out. And so remember for Paul, uh, the Bible was actually what we know as the Old Testament. Paul didn't have the New Testament because he was in the middle of living it out. He was, he was living the New Testament. But Paul had his Old Testament and he knew it inside and out. He had spent his whole life reading, meditating on, memorizing the Old Testament. And so Paul, Paul knew Genesis chapter 12, where God promised Abraham that he would bless him and that through his offspring, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Paul knew Genesis chapter 49, which is actually what he's quoting here in Romans, where Jacob blessed his son Judah and he said, a ruler is going to come from your line and to him shall be the obedience of the nations. Paul knew 1 Kings chapter 8, where Solomon prayed that God would listen to the prayers of foreigners who prayed to him so that, so that all the nations of the earth might know God and fear him. Paul knew the Psalms. He knew Psalm 22, which says that all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the earth shall worship before him. Paul knew the prophets. He knew Isaiah chapter 49 where God said he would make his servant a light to the nations to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. He knew Daniel chapter 7, where the Son of Man is presented before God that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And I could go, I could literally go on and on and on and on. But Paul knew his Bible, and Paul wasn't just passionate about taking the gospel to the nations because God told him to. Although that's a pretty good reason, right? If God like, comes to you directly and, and speaks audibly like he did to Paul and said, you know, take the gospel to the nations, you should, you should probably do it. But Paul wasn't just passionate about it because of that. Paul knew, he understood that the whole story of the Bible 
is that through Jesus, all the nations of the earth will come to know God. And that's why he's quoting here in Romans 15, that's why he's quoting in verse 21, uh, Isaiah. He's quoting the Old Testament. He says, those who have never seen, those who have never been told of him will see. Those who have never heard will understand. He's pointing back to Isaiah. This is also why many scholars believe that Paul wants to go to to Spain. You see in verse uh, verse 24, he says, "I, I want to go to Spain. Well, in, in Paul's time, in, Romans day, in Roman times, Spain was known as the end of the earth. That's what they called it. They called Spain, that's the end of the earth. Paul knew his Bible. He knew all throughout the Old Testament, over and over and over again, God says that his salvation will stretch where? To the end of the earth. So why is Paul trying to go to Spain? He, he just knows his Bible. He said, this salvation is going to the end of the earth. I'm going to Spain. I'm going to the end of the earth, right? So Paul, wasn't, he wasn't just sharing the gospel with Gentiles because he felt like it. He knew that the spread of the gospel to all nations was what the whole Bible was all about. And if that was true for Paul, then it's true for us too. But that story of God's salvation Stretching to all nations, what the Bible's all about, it's not finished yet. It's not finished yet. Which leads us to what I, what I want to kind of finish our time together this, this morning with, the third truth from this passage. And that is this, that God has given us an example to follow in reaching the world with the gospel. God has given us an example to follow. And we need an example to follow because, like I said, God's plan for all peoples to, to know him isn't finished yet. So I want to show you a map of the world behind me here with a bunch of dots on it, okay? Each of the dots on this map represents a people group. And a uh, people group is, uh, we could spend a lot of time talking about it, but, but researchers have put a lot of time into identifying uh, people groups around the world. Basically, a people group is a, it's a group of people who are uh, unique in culture and in language from the people around them, right? On this, on this map, every red and yellow dot you see represents an unreached people group in the world. And so an unreached people group means that in that group, less than 2% of the population is Christian, is evangelical Christian. And so what that, what that actually means practically is that the vast majority of people in those groups will live, they'll be born, they'll live, and they will die without ever hearing the gospel that Jesus died for them and, and rose from the dead. 4.7 billion people in unreached people groups around the world. So just, just stop and look at that and let that sink in for a second. There are millions of, of Ramvirs around the world still today. So how, how does that hit you? It feels a little bit overwhelming, does it not? How in the world could God use a little church like Church at the Oaks, 
to have any kind of impact at all on, on that, on a world full of lostness. And that's why this example that we have in Romans 15 is so, so helpful for us. Let's just keep reading. Verses 19 through 24, we're going to see an example to follow here, okay? So in verse 19, Paul says this, By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Okay, so if you're like me, you probably have no idea where where Jerusalem and especially Illyricum are on a map. But luckily, we have this huge board behind me, you can see. So, uh, here they are. Here's Jerusalem at the bottom. If we flip forward, I think we have them circled here. Jerusalem's at the bottom. And then Illyricum is all the way up here at the top, okay? And this space, all the way in between, in Paul's, in Paul's time, was made up of 20 million people, at least. It's a conservative estimate. That's... of the Roman Empire lived between Jerusalem and Illyricum. And Paul says here, (laughs) he says, I have fulfilled my ministry. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. From Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum. Paul says he's done. And if you keep reading... Uh, let's just keep, keep reading. If, if you go on down, and you, uh, he says, by the power of signs and wonders, so that from Jerusalem all the way around to Lyricum, I've fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, those who have never heard will understand. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work, in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. How in the world, how can Paul say that he has no more room to work between Jerusalem and Illyricum? He's been working for less than 20 years. 20 million people. No technology, no trains, no cars. No phones, nothing. There's hardly any chance that all those people, all those 20 million people have actually heard the gospel. So how can Paul say that he has no more room to work? It's an important question for us to answer, actually, right? Because we, too, we face a really big task. We just saw it on that map earlier. So if we can learn how Paul was able to say he had no more place to work between Jerusalem and Illyricum, then we can have a plan for maybe what we should do, right? Maybe we should follow his example. So in order to to answer that question of of what Paul did, I want you to actually flip back in your Bibles to the the book before Romans. And this this is the last place we'll go today. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. And we're going to read, read together verses 2 through 4. Now, when you get there and you start looking at it, you may think to yourself, how, how is this relevant at all to what we're talking about today? I want to show you 
And it's going to get maybe a little bit nerdy, okay? A little bit Bible nerdy. So just hang with me. Lock in for just a couple more minutes, okay? This is really cool, I think. So Acts chapter 20, Paul is finishing his third missionary journey. And he's come to Greece, it says, in verse 2. And at the beginning of verse 3, it says, there he spent three months. And now, if you're someone who who likes to to write in your Bible, then you might think about underlining that phrase right there. There he spent three months. Because those three months, as best we can tell, are when Paul wrote the book of Romans. Now, it's kind of cool, right? It's kind of like inception within the Bible. This is Uh, This is the historical context for what we just read in Romans. Paul's in Greece, and in these three months, he's writing this letter to Rome. So we're going to look at the the verses following that. We're going to look at verse 4, and we have a list there of a bunch of guys who are with Paul. And I want to just dive in really quickly here, just lock in for a second and focus, and, and look at these names and see who they are and where they're from, okay? So go through this list with me, starting in in Acts 20, verse 4. These are the guys with Paul as he's writing Romans. First, it says there's Sopater the Berean, okay? So we're going to circle, we're going to go and circle Berea on the map, okay? He's in in Greece here writing this, and Sopater's from Berea, so we're going to circle it up there on the next slide, okay? So next, we have Aristarchus and Secundus, and they're from, they're Thessalonians, from Thessalonica. So we'll circle Thessalonica on the map. And if you move down, uh, we have Gaius from Derby, right? Derby's over here, circle Derby. Uh, then after that, there's Timothy. And we know from earlier in Acts that Timothy is from Lystra, which is, which is near Derby. Okay. And then there's Tychicus and Trophimus, who are from Asia, this, uh, the verse says. And we know that uh, they're most likely from the city of Ephesus in Asia. So we'll circle Ephesus on the map, okay? And then finally, uh, the author of Acts is Luke. And so this, in this chapter in Acts, uh, the language switches to, to we. And so we can assume that Luke is also with Paul here. And, and uh, most scholars agree that Luke is from Antioch, which is where Paul started from, okay? So we'll circle that on the map too. Okay, so just stop and... And look at this map for a second. What do you notice? Every region between Jerusalem and Illyricum is represented by these men who are with Paul. And what does that mean? That means that Paul has entered into each of these regions. He shared the gospel message. He's made disciples of the people who believed. He's gathered those disciples into churches. And he has raised up leaders from among those churches. That's who, that's who these men are. They're leaders from the churches that Paul has planted in each of these regions. And so as Paul plans to move on to Spain... These men will stay in the regions and in the churches that Paul is leaving behind. And Paul can trust that these leaders 
And these churches understand the gospel. They understand the mission. And they've taken ownership of it for themselves. So the work of gospel ministry is not finished between Jerusalem and Illyricum. There's still people there who haven't heard the gospel. But Paul's work is finished. Because he knows that the churches that he's leaving behind will carry on the mission of making disciples. Okay, so now now fast forward to today. 4.7 billion unreached people in the world. What do we do? What is God's plan? Well, the answer is actually really, really simple. But it's also really profound. God's plan is for his people to plant churches. To plant churches that plant churches that plant churches until there's no place left to work, just like Paul. And what does that look like? It looks like just what Paul did between Jerusalem and Illyricum. It looks like God's people going to a place that's unreached for the gospel, sharing within the story of Jesus, making disciples of the people who believe, gathering them into a church, raising up leaders from among them, and then trusting the Holy Spirit to work through that church, to make disciples, and to start the process all over again. That right there is the work of missions. That's missions in the Bible. That's it. It's, it's simple. It almost sounds too simple to be true, too simple to work. But I think maybe God planned it that way, right? To remind us of that first, first truth we saw, that ultimately this work is God's and not ours. And so God, God is still using this plan today in the world. In South Asia, there's a brother named Kumar. Kumar felt called to, to be a missionary to his own people right there in South Asia. And so he decided to go into a village uh, nearby his own and start sharing the gospel, just like Paul did. So he, he goes around and he starts knocking on all the doors in that village and he shares the gospel there. And 14 people believed the gospel. So he started discipling them. And eventually those 14 people became a church in this village. And as he, as he kept discipling them more, God called several of those, those 14 people to actually go to new villages and to do the same thing. So they went to new villages. They knocked on people's doors. They shared the gospel, made disciples. Some new churches started. And guess what happened? The same thing happened again and again and again. After five years from Kumar's uh, 14 believers gathered together as a church, just obeying the Great Commission, making disciples, after, after five years, 1,262 churches were, were started across this region in South Asia. God, just like in the first century, God is still using his people today to plant churches until there's no place left, right? And so let's, let's take all of this and let's apply it to you personally, okay? Let's apply it to us as Church of the Oaks. So, so first, what, what do you do with this? What do we do? Well, first, we have to remember the gospel, right? Remember the story that is behind all of this. The whole reason why we're doing any of this is because Jesus 
has come to earth. He has lived a perfect life of obedience. He's died and risen from the dead so that anyone from any nation who just puts their faith in him can be forgiven of their sins, can know him. And that, that includes all of us in this room, right? We, we are the nations. We are the Gentiles that, that Paul is speaking about right here. And so I know that there are many people in this room who have never truly put their faith. You've never put your faith in Jesus. You don't know him. And so for you, all this talk, everything that we've said today, kind of sounds like crazy talk, honestly. And if the gospel is not true, then it is. It is, it is crazy talk. <laughs> but just like Paul had an encounter with the risen Jesus that radically changed his life, all of us in this room who know him, who know Jesus, have also been, been radically changed and transformed by him. And we believe. And so I just, I just stand here and beg you, if you do not know Jesus, put your faith in him. That's your response to this message today. Trust in Jesus. And so as we pray, as we sing here in a moment, just pray to him. Tell him that, that he's your Lord that you turn from your sins, that you want to follow him. Maybe you have questions about that. You don't know exactly what that means or what that looks like. Uh, find someone and tell them. Turn to your neighbor who, who you came here with today and tell them, hey, I, I think I want to follow Jesus. Come to me. Come to anyone. We want to help you know him. For others of you today, though, all, this message, all that we talked about, has hit you in, in kind of a different way. So as we've talked about, uh, as we've talked about Paul's example of uh, preaching the gospel where, where Jesus has not been named, as we've looked at these maps on the screen, as we've talked about unreached people, God is, is stirring something in your heart. Maybe he has been for a while, or maybe you're, you're feeling that for the first time today. And you, and you realize, deep down, you're thinking, I, I need to be a part of doing this, right? I, I need to be a part of the missionary task. And I, I know that God, God is still raising up people in his church today, just like he did in the first century, to, to take on this missionary task, to, to, to pick up your life and to move to a place where, where there's no access to the gospel and to be a part of planting churches there. He's calling many people to that work. I think he's calling many more people than are actually going. And I, I firmly believe that God is calling many people in this room right now to that work. And so if that's you, if you even think that that might be you, if you're even interested at all in, in the thought of, of, of going overseas, short-term, long-term, of, if you just realize, hey, I, I need to be a part of that work. And this is what I want you to do. I don't want you to ignore that feeling, that thought. So I want you to take a connection card. If you don't have one, then find one as you leave. And I want you to, to write down your name on that card. Uh, even if you are a member of this church, even if you're here every Sunday, write your name on that connection card and just write your contact info and just write missions. You're not committing to anything. But if God is working in your heart in that way, we want to know and we want to help you. We want to talk through what that looks like 
for you to partner with God and his mission around the world, right? Don't ignore that. If God pricked, pricked something in your heart today. And so now I want to talk to, 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 to everyone in the room, to, to every believer in the room today. We, we've just spent probably 35, 40 minutes, sorry, spent a long time talking about uh, how the message of the whole Bible is God reaching the world, right? And so if that is the story of the whole Bible, then that's your story too. God may not call, he may not call you to be a missionary. He might, but he might not. He has called every single Christian though to be a part of the work of missions. And so how do we do that? We pray, right? We, that's probably the most powerful thing we can do is pray. So, so what does it look like? How are you praying for the nations right now in your life? Ask yourself that question. We give. We give sacrificially to the work of missions, and, and we're going to have many specific opportunities over the course of the next few months to give as a church to missions. So ask yourself, how am I giving? But we also go, right? We go. And we, we go on short-term trips. We'll have opportunities for that. But, but honestly, one of the biggest ways that, that we in this room can contribute to the work of global missions is to simply go to our neighbor to go to our lost family members, to go to our friends, to go to our waiters and our hairdressers and to simply tell them about what Jesus has done for us and about who he is, right? And if that's intimidating for you, if, that, if you feel like, I don't know how to do that, in just a few weeks in mid-February, we're gonna have a gospel conversations training where you can learn some simple tools for how to do that. And you'll get all kinds of information about it. I would love for you to be there. But listen, all it is, all it is is going to people in our life who are far from God and telling them about what Jesus has done in your life, right? The Great Commission is for every single one of us. So go. Go and make disciples until there's no place left. And go in confidence and without any fear or anxiety, because ultimately, ultimately, this is all God's work and not ours. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you so much that you have provided a way for us to know you, Lord, through your Son. And we thank you that, God, your gift of salvation is is for every one of us, and it's not only for us, but for, for everyone in the world, for, for everyone from any nation who would simply trust in your son, Jesus, God. And Lord, if there are any in this room, we know there, there are many in this room who, have, who don't, know, don't know you, Jesus, would you work in their hearts, would you draw them to you, even right now, as we pray. And God, for others in this room who you are calling to the missionary task. God, would you, uh, would you make that clear to them? God, now and in the days and weeks and months to come, I pray that you would raise up and call many in this room to the task of making disciples among unreached people groups throughout the world, Lord. I pray that we would be able to look back in 20 years at who you have sent out from, from Oaks. And, and just like Paul, we would be able to say, God, that 
uh, in many new places and regions around the world, there's no place left to work because you have worked through, through us, your people. And God, I pray for all of us here in Tuscaloosa, would you empower us to go today, to go this week, and simply to, to make disciples, Lord, to be like the churches that Paul left behind because he knew they were gonna continue the work. God, would you make us a church like that? Lord, we know that, that ultimately this is all your work and not ours, and so we rest in that. God, we just ask all of this of you humbly. And we ask it in Jesus' name.